This is another iRaw podcast. And that is one of the things that led me to write my first published book, which was Lily and the Octopus, which explores the grief around losing a pet because we haven't evolved that conversation at the same rate. We've welcomed them in, you know, as I said, as full family members, and yet we lose them and we don't have the context really to process that grief in the same way. We haven't addressed the seriousness of what these losses can mean to us at the rate of which we've we've changed our relationships with them. My name is Katya, and this is The Animal That Changed You. I believe loving an animal is one of the most accessible, most available portals for self-healing in the whole world. It's my privilege to encourage you to open your heart to animals and challenge you to deepen your compassion just a little bit more. Welcome to The Animal That Changed You. Well, well, and well. We are back together for a new episode of The Animal That Changed You. Can I just like read you some beautiful, wonderful reviews that have come in lately? Skip MCO, Skip M Co. I'm just going to put that name together. You rated The Animal That Changed You five stars and titled your review A Blessing Every Week. Skip M Co. Thank you so much. You wrote, I was introduced to this podcast from Can I Pet Your Dog when Katya was a guest. I'm so glad I hopped over and started following her. Her podcast can make you laugh, cry, and think. Most importantly, it has opened my mind to so many other aspects of loving my animal. The best advice so far, leave my phone when I take my pups out for a walk. Why? Because that is their biggest outing of the day. They live in the house, so pay attention and live in the moment with them cherish every single moment. I have a dog that is in her senior years. Instead of being afraid and sad, I'm embracing every moment and cherishing it. Katya's an angel sent to us from the power that governs pet lovers. (laughs) Thank you so much. That's so beautiful. Like, I'm gonna try to receive that. It's just so nice. And you know what, guys? Reviews help podcasts so much. So if you have a minute, I hope you will go to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and leave a rating or review for me if you feel so inclined to hear for the animal that changed you or for any podcast you love. And it can be long like like that one, which was so generous and kind. Or uh, Jasmine Diaz 6 just posted saying, love it. Five stars. Love this podcast full of heart and soul. And you know what? That's an awesome review too. So wherever you fall in that spectrum, if you feel like it, we podcast hosts, we rely on those reviews to grow, yes, and you know, to be vouched for, but also to hear you, to hear what you need, what you want, and what's resonating and how we can better serve you with our voices, our mouth holes. That sounded gross. Okay, let's go um, hear from our guest today. I am really, really excited about this conversation and this guest He is an author. He has written some incredible books. And I think you guys know that there's nothing in this world that I feel about the way I feel about writing. The bestest ever. So the place where writing and animals overlap, those two heartbeats, oh, that is a sacred space, just a field of divine energy. And I am so grateful to share that with you, that space with you today. Well, hello, Stephen Rowley. I'm very happy you're here on The Animal That Changed You. I'm thrilled to join you. Thank you so much. Yay. Thank you for making the time. You are, you know, it's coming the Geek Out Minute. You are a best-selling author. No big deal. Not just, not just a writer, but a best-selling author. Um, let's see. Lily and the Octopus, the editor. 
McGunkel. You are a freelance writer, a columnist, a screenwriter. You have these magnificent, beautiful quotes from your books that I see pop up everywhere all the time. And people have said them to me and I'm like, oh, well, then we should be friends because you are also quoting Stephen Rowley. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You seem to be a real animal lover. And um, circling back to how we started, you're an author. And I just want to stay there for a minute and not rush through it because there is nothing that I have more of a reverence for than books and people who write them. And I want to hear more about you and where you're from at the animal who changed you, who may or may not be the one who inspired Lily and the Octopus. I don't know. You'll tell me. And as a writer myself, oh my God, I want to hear everything about your writing journey. That's it. I'm going to stop talking. (laughs) Let's make this an official segment for the podcast. The Geek Out Minute should be an official. Let's make it part of our every day. Like we should have (laughs) something that we geek out over every day. Like to be this excited. And there are things, there's so much to be excited about in life. Let's all have a Geek Out Minute every day. I endorse this. I am glad. And if you ever need one, you're just having a hard day. You're welcome to email or call me. I will provide. I them. will call you. <laughs> uh, but it's it is interesting if we if we stay here for just a second before we jump in on the animals, because as you mentioned, I am I am an author. But but having that sort of read back to me is sort of, is really interesting to hear because I was 45 years old when my first book was published, and I had been trying to be an author, you know, and get published for years and years and years. And so I just, if there are any writers out there or any creatives or or if, you know, people are struggling in, in the field to get where they want to be, like, it really is perseverance and um, allowing your talent and your skills to grow, which is something that comes over time. I've always been jealous of people, you know, a hot 25-year-old writer who graduates from the Iowa Writers Workshop and immediately gets that big headline grabbing, (laughs) you know, book deal. But that wasn't my journey. And in fact, mine was very much tied to my love of animals. So it'll be interesting to chat about. Yeah, and it's uh, and it's not my journey either. And I write books, and I had a YA book that came very close. I would call it an almost, and and then a not mm-hmm. in terms of going out on submission and not selling. And boy, boy, Stephen, at the time, it really felt a grave injustice. Just I was very, I felt hurt, like the universe was against me. Now, of course, I realize what a gift that was because. At the time, I didn't know what I could do. And so maybe it felt like uh, my next book was going to be me crossing my fingers and hoping I could trick them again, trick someone again (laughs) to like (laughs) my work as opposed to like really getting as good as I could. And I'm still at it. So I I actually really am happy that you started there. Thank you for saying that. Uh, yeah, and I have been there too. I've got several that are in a drawer that uh, you know that I sort of had to get out of my system and learn how to do it. So one that came close, just like that. And it's like our relationships with our animals. We have a different relationship with each project. You know, with each book I've written, I have a different feelings for, a different relationship with it. And yet, like animals, each one has taught me very individual and specific lessons too. So I'm grateful okay. for the ones that didn't go as much as I am grateful for the successes. I hope for that enlightenment. Please, universe, listen, listen to me and, and give me that that outlook. How do you write? Like, do you write every day? What's your writing creative journey like? I try to write every day, although it depends, you know, where I am. You know, last year I had a novel come out. So much of my year or certainly the months leading up to and the months afterwards were more built around marketing and publicity and interacting with readers who uh, had read the book or posted about it on social media um, 
you know, talking to libraries, bookstores, that sort of thing. Whereas this year is an active writing year. So uh, yeah. I don't have a book coming out this year. So I'm writing the next one. And that definitely changes the schedule a little bit. And, you know, writing is a very, it's, a, you know, particularly novel writing is a very solitary occupation. And yeah. so I like the balance. I like sometimes having to, to have uh, interactive aspects of my job as much as I do the parts where it's just me and the blank page, as it were. Yeah. What if like, how much flexibility is required in that, you know, to be like me in this space where I drop in and then like, whew, me out here. It's like, I don't know, there's something very, there's a quite a range there. I think that's really cool that you get to enjoy both. And so the beginning, were you always a writer as a kid? You know, even those days, were you also an animal lover, I guess is my question. How does that (laughs) space where you write from connect to your love of animals? Because for me, they feel the same, but I don't know if that's for everyone. Yeah, I think there has been a consistency in my life. I was a writer as a kid. You know, I say that I enjoyed writing as yeah. a kid, you know, wrote short stories. I remember having a magazine, like a little creating a little magazine with a f- couple friends. And I remember the day my dad took that to his office and ran off a couple copies on his photo, you know, the photocopier. And I, I was stunned when he brought home a stack of, you know, half dozen, you know, of, of my stories or something. I was like, wait, there can be more copies of something that I wrote. And that was my, that was my introduction to the idea of publishing and I think I was hooked from that from that moment and indeed throughout that time you know some of those short stories were about animals because I did you know we had dogs growing up as well as oh I had gerbils I think we had a rabbit at one point we had cats and I will say though that our relationships with our with our animals have changed a lot since I was you know growing up in the 70s and 80s yeah where'd you you grow up in Maine so in a rural state uh we had a house with a barn it wasn't a working farm at the time we owned it but it had a barn and you know some acreage and so we had these animals and and animal you know even the dogs would sleep in the barn at night except on the coldest nights and it was very much you know pets were were pets and animals were animals and now you know as an adult my dogs are full-fledged members of the family you know totally. and it's really evolved very quickly how much they have we've brought them into our lives and as as full-fledged family members you know they sleep in our beds sometimes they have holiday stockings or totally. you know birthday cakes you know the things we do for our pets now it's amazing and, and that is one of the things that led me to write my first published book, which was Lily and the Octopus, which explores the grief around losing a pet because we haven't evolved that conversation at the same rate. We've welcomed them in, you know, as I said, as full family members, and yet we lose them and we don't have the context really to process that grief in the same way. We haven't addressed the seriousness of what these losses can mean to us at the rate of which we've, we've changed our relationships with them. It's so interesting that you are here today and you're talking about that. I, I read your book. I, I, saw, I have it. I'm going to read it again. I mean, I love it. Um, and I, I have two quotes that I have with me here that I brought with me because I haven't been able to read it lately again. I, about a month ago, I lost my, you know, Lily, my, uh, mm-hmm. my heart dog. Not that they're mm-hmm. not all in some way, shape or form. No, but isn't that, it interesting but- that, you know, and I've loved all the dogs I've had in my life, but there's one or two that make that special soul imprint yeah. on you that you just vibe with on another another level. And yeah, so I'm, and so, I'm so sorry about that. But yes, I, I think you. anyone who's loved animals, we've all understood that there's there's a couple that are truly, truly unique and special to us. Yeah. And lately I've been thinking about that concept as being 
almost now, I think, less about her, her name's Ophelia, and mm-hmm. more about who I was when she came into my life. It, I think that special soul sync up has much more to do with what I needed that I didn't know was possible, or maybe that I didn't even know I needed, that she sort of waltzed in and provided. And I don't need that anymore because she's happened. I've been Ophelia, as I like to say. And um, (laughs) we love a good literary name and reference. So I appreciate that, especially from you. You know, you wrote, if you spend your entire life trying to cheat death, there's no time left over to embrace life. That's from the book, as well as it's natural as our loved ones age to start grieving their loss even before we lose them. And I pulled those because I, I had tabbed them and highlighted them because I'm a nerd and I tear up and I, I moved every time I read your words from Lily and the Octopus, many of your, from your other books as well, but that book specifically, just because it's sort of something that has been with me in this past year as Ophelia has been fading, your book has sort of been on my mind, almost as if I was reading it, even though I wasn't rereading it, oh. knowing, yeah, knowing that, that there was a place for me when I was ready to sort of explore that grief. There were pages that I could go into. And that is such a huge gift. And I really want to thank you for that. That's a big thing to give somebody. Oh, well, thank you so much. If, you know, to the, to the extent that it was any comfort, you know, I'm certainly grateful for that. Even if the, even if just thinking about the book was a, a, a pleasant distraction, I'm grateful <laughs> for that too. Um, but it, you know what, it, I'm reminded that our animals are truly unique, our relationships with them in that, you know, our parents, we sort of expect to predecease us, you know, to see them through old age. Our children, they should never predecease us. And when that happens, something is very wrong, you know, with the universe. And that is a unique pain, which we, we don't need to get into right this minute. But our animals, you know, and particularly with Lily, and I did have a Lily that inspired Lily and the Octopus, you know, a, a dachshund that I had got as a 12-week-old puppy and saw her through to, you know, to old age. And it's the only relationship where we have where we witness a living being's entire lifespan, usually. You know, we take care of them when they're puppies or kittens or whatnot, you know, and we see them through to old age. And I, it's a real privilege and it's a real honor to see something through its entire life. Yeah. It's, and it, as hard as it can be, it can be very beautiful as well. Definitely. And it is so strange as you put it. Um, it made me think like they're like our babies at first and then towards the end, they're like a, a mother or father figure. It's such, it's so mm-hmm. weird. The more of that fluidity, <laughs> more, yeah. more shape shifting, if you will. But you know, this idea of grief, not being something that we've really unpacked and talked about is so it's something I want to highlight because I thought that I would be sort of like draped over armrests, just like wailing about Ophelia, which was, would have, honestly, that would have been a welcome surprise to what I'm (laughs) going through now, which is all the stuff underneath that, like the real stuff, because as you wrote about, you know, trying not to cheat death by always worrying about it as you live, I was sort of processing her death towards the end. She was sick and we were fighting every day and I was writing her a letter a day because I'm a maniac. Um, I wrote 118 letters. No big deal. <laughs> Probably most of them not that good, but I just wanted to commune with her some way, some, some meditative like time set aside way. My point being, I was already processing. So now what's, what I'm left with is almost like a new relationship with her. She's not here anymore. And I'm, it's weird to think, oh, I have to find a new way to feel her or find her 
it's so bizarre. And I'm wondering if you experienced that with your Lily, this idea of like, now I'm having a new relationship with you where I, I have to find you in a new form or, or learn how to love you like this. Well, here's the thing. I'm mean, like, we never forget them. And the reason we never forget them is because they teach us so much. And it's often not until after they're gone to realize how, how much they were teachers for us. And, and so once, you know, once it's truly quiet in the home and you have time to, and the space to reflect, then yeah, you, you can start being open to all the sort of lessons and things that you have taken from, from that relationship. Now, conversely, sometimes that's interrupted from the outside world, you know, people immediately like, well, are you going to get another dog? Are you going to get another? And it's well-meaning, I think, but, you know, people have different relationships with their pets and with their animals and, and not everybody from the outside is going to understand what that relationship is. So it is important to sit with it and really realize like what that relationship meant to you and what you took from it, because others, others can't necessarily help you figure that out from the outside. It really has to come from, from within. Wow. I really like that. So interesting how much I resist the going within. I'm really good at it. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's the human instinct. No, but as writers, (laughs) we have to do that. You know, we really have to do that. And, um, you know, you don't realize how much these losses, uh, you know, how much of a hole in your life there can be sometimes, you know, I mentioned writing is a solitary occupation. I relied on the company, you know, of dogs sometimes who are good sort of quiet, you know, presences by your side while you're sometimes exploring very difficult things. It's also a very sedentary occupation. So Mm -hmm. sometimes I relied on the dog to get me up out of the chair and be like, let's go for a walk, which also, by the way, not only is great for the dog, it helps my creative process, you know, getting the blood flowing. It can get me unblocked or unstuck sometimes. So, you know, without that, without, you know, a cold nose on your legs, sometimes saying like, let's go, let's go outside. You know, you're, you're at kind of a loss. And I think about, you know, different people, seniors, for instance, you know, who may have a dog that the dog is what gets them out of, you know, and engaged with the community when they might not have a large friend or support base or, or whatnot, you know, we, we all know the people we pass on, on walks with, for with sure. dogs, for instance, and, you know, that can become very social uh, activity. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I know it's a really my... profound relationships. Yeah, they, they are profound. I mean, I know all my neighbors, animals, I don't know their names. Um, no, yeah, but I here's do know. Fitzgerald and here's Fitzgerald's mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Absolutely. But you know what else it is? It's that as a writer, it's like, we're so stuck in our heads sometimes. What a wonderful place to be. Also, what a terrible place to be. But dogs or cats or any animal, they're out there. I love how you call that out, that they they make us go out there, whether it's just to like connect with another being or go on a walk or whatever or it be is. be in the moment, you know, the animals totally. live in the present, you know, yeah. very much. And so, and sometimes we get too bogged down on the past and things we cannot change or, or worried about the future. And, and animals are always a lovely reminder to appreciate what is and where, where you are in any given moment. So where were you when you adopted uh, your Lily, when you brought her into your life? What was missing in your life, if you don't mind me asking, and how did that relationship, and did you write your book while she was alive, your first book, Lily and the Octopus, or did you write it after? No, I wrote it after she had passed away, and it started with immediately, and I recommend this, you know, even to non-writers, you know, if you if you're are going through a loss like this, I, I either before you say goodbye or immediately afterwards, I started making lists of memories 
because the sad truth is that those details and those memories, they do fade with time. And there's so much magic in them, whether they be these ridiculous nicknames uh, <laughs> that you that you have for your animals. And sometimes, you know, they, that could be pages long. Or <laughs> I remember, I just remembered something that hadn't made it into the book, but I'm so, I'm so glad I remembered it, is that I used to keep, I always sleep with a glass of water on the bedside table because sometimes I get thirsty at night. And then she no, would no. wake up, stand on my body and lean over and drink out of my glass of water. So instead of like, changing that or being like, all right, I should get up to have water. I, I started putting a second glass of water so that there would be one for her and one for me. And so Feels we right. had worked out that system somehow. And I was like, what, what ridiculous, you know, sort of behavior, but, uh, but I'm so happy I have that memory. And now, and now the book, you know, and, and that was just the basis. Those were the building blocks for, for the book. And now, you know, Lily Marshall is special to me for all kinds of reasons, but it is also a lovely catalog of these memories. And, and if you write these memories down, I think sometimes it helps process yeah. loss. That probably helped you writing that book must've been so, did, she did have cancer, correct? Your Lily. Your she did have cancer. Yeah, so to backtrack, uh, I got her as a puppy on my 30th birthday in real life. And uh, I, I was thrilled. I was, ha you know, happy in that moment. But I, you know, I'm a, a gay man, I was in a relationship, it's, it things have changed. It's, it's hard to remember how quickly things have changed. You know, certainly 20 years ago, marriage wasn't legal, it wasn't even something I really thought I would see in my lifetime, you know, and kids, you know, there were some, you know, really beautiful LGBTQ families, but it wasn't as certainly as common a, as it is today. And there weren't the resources for adoption and surrogacy and all, all sorts of things. So I didn't really think that ch children was something that was going to be on the table for me. So this, this, I got this puppy, you know, about the time that my friends were having kids and it became really you know, magical. I, I look back at it as magical. You know, puppies are terrors. It's like, it's like so the worst hard. of a newborn oh and a toddler that, you know, all roll, uh, like a newborn <laughs> that could run, you know, at full speed, you know, the only saving grace is they sleep a lot, but. Uh, so cute, their smell, my God. Yeah, but it was a real learning experience for me. And I think, you know, sometimes, you know, as a, as a young a person, you know, 30, it seems so young to me now. I, yeah, <laughs> I just turned too. 50 this past year. You know, as a younger person and, and also as a, as a gay person, sometimes there can be a, I don't want this to sound too harsh, but like a selfishness, like we really sort of exist for ourselves. And if you don't have kids or you're not partnered, then, you know, your needs are what you think about all the time. And so it was very instructive for me at that time in my life, I think, to have something else that required my attention and me to not just think about myself. And so I think that was, you know, very important to my maturing and, and growing yeah. uh, in really wonderful ways. But the book, yes, Lily and the Octopus. In the book, a man wakes up one morning to discover or that he thinks that there is a small octopus <laughs> stuck to his dog's head. And in real life, Lily did have a, a brain tumor. And it really did. It changed like the shape of her skull. And she had this bump there. Now, full disclosure, I never actually thought that there was an octopus uh, on my dog's head. But when it came time to write about this, you know, I realized pretty quickly what I was trying to write about was attachment and how difficult it can be to let go. Yeah. And so having a tentacular stand in, you know, for her tumor, you know, made sense, made sense to me. And off I was writing this story about a dog with an octopus stuck to her head. And what, what do you do in that situation? And how far would you go to get her free from the grip of, you know, 
this other sort of sea creature, or in my case, you know, it was it was cancer. But that fantastical so, element, I think, is what makes it stand out. And I don't know, sort of invite like all the subtext and all the, you know, it's like it's your story, but it became my story because of it, because of that ability to sort of imagine as you read. It's been the most joyous experience of this is, you know, because I thought, you know, the writer, the, the voices in our head as writers that devalue our own work are loud and they are persistent. And it's a big sure. part of our job to silence those voices sometimes. Here they were, you know, I'm writing a story about a dog and an octopus, two creatures <laughs> that probably never really meet in real life. And I thought, OK, well, this is too strange. Like no one's going to want to read this. No one's going to understand this. You know, as I was writing, I thought, well, I'm going to make this story as strange as it as it needs to be. I'm going to follow follow. I've got this setup now. I'm going to follow where it goes, you know, and it goes to some fantastical places. But my mission, I thought, was to write the emotional truth yeah. of what it felt like to be to have a dog slipping away from you and this circumstance is out of your control. And I thought as long as I told the emotional truth. But here's the real joy. Sometimes the more weirdly specific you make something the more kind of universal it is because it's there's bananas. such a truth in the way that our our brains sometimes create these constructs and other people for other people it's not a you know it's not an octopus necessarily but it's not unusual as i learned later on that you know cancer spreads in a sort of tentacular Perfect, way yeah and oftentimes you know often in childhood cancers they tell kids to imagine something to do battle with. They're canceled as something else to do battle with. Anyhow, the, the more specific I made it, the more people seem to understand like, oh yeah, I've created these, this weird construct, you know, to avoid having to face some really harsh truth, a really harsh thing in front of me until uh, they were ready, you know, and that sort to. of easing you into something hard. I think it's something that's very human and Definitely. is self-protective self um, in a way that we endure. And it can be really helpful. It, it can be it, that self-protection can be helpful. I'm in a, you know, I'm a, I'm a person in recovery and, and they always say in our rooms that, um, you know, your disease is in the other room doing, doing mm -hmm. sit-ups and push-ups. Like, you know, yeah. so I always imagine this little, whatever it is, I don't even yet know, but that sort of not, I, that way to cut off can be helpful sometimes mm -hmm. until you're ready to bring it in. And I also, the octopus, the, I kept think, feeling like a suctiony, yeah. you know, that sort mm -hmm. of sound almost, yes. could, yeah. you know, it was, it felt perfect. Do you still feel here, you know, dream of Lily? Does that, does she still have a presence in your life now? Oh, she has, she absolutely has a presence in my life. As I said, the book itself is a wonderful category of memories. She was a timid dog. She was a dachshund and the smallest things would send her cowering, you know, for a day, <laughs> a, a, a loose wheel on a shopping cart, you know, uh, you know, a skateboard, anything like that. We would run back inside and that would be, that would be that. And now, you know, the great delight here, I, here I said, you know, this book I thought would be for no one. It's been translated in 20 languages. Oh my God. Uh, you know, it's been sold around the world. It, as you said, it was a, it was a bestseller. Um, there's a movie in the works. So all these things that I never could have imagined, you know, here was this timid girl with short, tiny legs has traveled the world. 
now and made you know incredible new friends through through the book and she's brought incredible uh, new friends into my life because of the book and so Amazing. you know she's still giving me gifts to this to this day and uh, so yeah I think about her often and it's interesting sometimes to interact with readers you know back in in the before times when I was doing uh, in-person book events, which I hope to get back to doing soon. I but you know, you readers too. would come up to me, and they would, you know, they would have just finished the book, and they would have been in tears and yes. and whatnot. And they would, you know, and we'd hug, and they'd be looking up at me like, "Why aren't you? Why aren't you crying?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Well, I'm cried out, you know. Like I wrote the book, and the book was healing, you know, for me and that process. And so there, there are only happy memories now. Um, there are yeah. only happy memories. Yeah. I love that it's been translated to so many languages. Animals are like just to, in my, in my view, anyway, the greatest equalizer, you know, they don't care if you're homeless or if you live in Hollywood or what country you're from, or they, they don't care. And it's just such a relief. It is just such a relief that somebody in Portugal has, can have the same experience that I had reading your book because Mm -hmm. of some animal they love. It just makes me feel such a great sense of relief. (laughs) So I'm glad to hear it. (laughs) and now you have a new dog who may be changing you yeah yeah oh they all do so after lily we adopted a senior uh which i think is a wonderful thing to do i truly um there's so many wonderful seniors i wasn't ready for a puppy again and in fact i was a little wary about about getting a dog again at all i was so fearful of what if the dog is too much like Lily and I feel I feel resentful like she's trying to take her place or yeah. what if a new dog is nothing like Lily and I have a hard time attaching therefore you know to this new pet well we had adopted the senior she was in rough shape someone had shot her up pretty good with a BB gun and so she had several broken ribs and she was missing an eye and uh, you know had been on the streets and you know she had it she had a rough start to life and uh so we had just decided that we were going to give her a safe space and spoil her and and so and that would be that. Uh, but it indeed, it was a really different experience from Lily, and that was okay. In fact, that was that was great. She was kind of like a, a roommate for for you know the duration of her life, and she passed away last year. And uh, I think she was you know she may have been fifteen or sixteen. Like with the rescues, like you don't even know. So we probably had yeah. her from ten to ten to sixteen or something. She was a curmudgeon, but I loved having her around. I loved having her around. But but uh, you know, and yes, we just adopted a new a new dog from the from the county shelter. This, but she's a puppy. She is. I'm so uh, glad you went to the county shelter. That is not an easy thing to do. Uh, we just, looked at all kinds of rescue organizations, and ultimately, it, you know, and there there's so. And I live in Southern California, so there are some really wonderful animal rescue organizations who do incredible work. And people here really love their pets. So so often, you know, they're decently funded and whatnot. And and here was this dog in the county shelter that is, you know, sadly, it is a kill shelter. It's not a high kill shelter, but it is a kill shelter. Which, there are just which, too many animals. Uh, I live I live in Palm Springs, California. So this is Riverside. Uh, oh yeah, no, Riverside, Riverside County Shelter. Yeah, it's a it's good to go. It's good to go to these shelters. It's a necessity, yeah. but it's you gotta it's know to walk in. There yeah, too. so yeah. I would go to some of these fancier rescues. And I'd be like, okay, well, this is like jail but county you know a county animal shelter is like 
prison. You know, it is tough. Sure. It's tough there. And so uh, she's a, she well, she has her adult teeth. Our new our new dog is named Raindrop. Uh, she looks like a little storm cloud. So her name's Raindrop. She is at least Sounds six like months. She, she travels with the Grateful Dead or something. I'm just I know like, right. There was a hippieish hippieish quality <laughs> to her. Six um, months. She's at least six months because she has her adult teeth, but they're brand new. So they mm. are. So she's probably seven or eight months. And so it's fun to have that that kind of puppy energy around again after after having a senior last time. She looks a little bit like we took her to the vet. I thought she's full grown, so I was like, oh great, she's the perfect size, you know, a good a, she's a good size, but not overwhelmingly large. And the vet was like, oh, she looks like she has some Irish wolfhound in her. And I was like googling Irish wolfhound, and it's like the world's biggest breed, which when it's full grown could stand on its hind legs and be seven feet tall. <laughs> It feels made up, but I have like, oh, actually no. know that's true. Yeah. I, was I like, thought oh, you were no. gonna say Great Dane. I'm like, oh God, Steven, I hope it's not. No, I got the one thing that's bigger than a Great Dane. And and it's it's funny because my husband found a had found a pair of bonded Great Danes that needed a home and he really wanted to consider that. And my fear about older dogs, I mean older, my fear about large breeds, very large breeds is they don't live as long as well. Feeling my relationship now without Ophelia here, as you had mentioned, you know try not to feel guilty or God, I love that you said resent um, because so much of our relationships with our animals have more to do with us and what we need or right. feelings that aren't, you know, being expressed or processed or whatever. I'm not a therapist, but you know, it's so much more about us than sometimes and what we're even getting from them. But I'm now in a new relationship with Sassy trying to figure out what, what that is just me and her. But having all these seniors, I wonder sometimes for my kids, especially, I'm like, what would it be like to adopt a young, a young, strapping, handsome lad or, or lady a pup? I really commend you for opening your heart, you know, old, young, just like going with where the wind takes you <laughs> and yeah. signing up for it. Well, yeah, you know, you, you mentioned when when I mentioned the the resentment earlier. You're right. These are these relationships are so much more about us sometimes than the pet themselves. And yes, that was me worried about my own shortcomings and my own failings, and my own, in, you know, a fear that I, you know, that I have an inability to love or whatnot, which is entirely not true. But you know, and I think I think one of the most remarkable things that I love about people who people who love animals is. We, we go into it knowing the deal, right? They yeah. just don't live as long as people do. And yet, instead of keeping them at an arm's length, we surrender to that fully. We love them fully. We lose them. We grieve. And so many of us then go back to the end of the line, you know, and sign up and do it all over again. Because A, we're needed. You know, there are so many, so many beautiful animals in need of a loving home. But two, you know, it's worth it it's worth it every time it's worth the pain it's worth the heartbreak because there is so much that you get in return it's 100% true and isn't the whole point of attaching to learn how to deal and how to feel when there's space in between you and that being that you're attached to and it's brutal because that is really the yeah. point of it but if you want to attach to someone you're going to have to learn the feeling of when that attachment goes away yeah Right. That's yeah. what we get in exchange. I'm just happy. I, I mean, yeah, to get back into the line and get an old dog. I'm proud of you. And I'm happy that Raindrop is there now. And so now, okay, so back to your books, there's been the editor, there's been the gunkle. What is next? Or what, what do you dream of? Or what is your 
what is your wish or what are you aspiring for or looking forward to? Or maybe nothing. Maybe you're like, I'm content now. God, yes, stop asking me what more I want. And that would be fair. What is your I was like, you're either my mother or my agent asking, well, what, what, what's next? What's that? Oh what are you God. doing? What is, what, oh, yeah. uh, I, I don't want to no. do that to you. <laughs> Let's celebrate I, no, that. I'm very, I'm very happy to talk. Yeah, I've had three wonderful novels. I am very lucky in that all three have been optioned for for feature film adaptation. So I'm Amazing. in the process of working on all three of those right now. Selfishly, you know, with Lily and the Octopus, I just want to be in, you know, I, I just want to be on the casting of those. Do- I want to be in a room where they have yeah. dachshund puppies and older dachshunds. And, and, and I just want to meet all the I want to be there too that yeah. could play Lily. Yeah. Selfishly, I just want to be in that casting session and then they can go make the movie however they want. <laughs> <laughs> so I am, uh, you know, sort of focused on on, on seeing those uh, movies through. I, d- I wrote the adaptation for the editor and for the Gonkle. I did not for, for Lily. One is because it's the closest to my, yeah. to my heart and the closest to an autobiographical uh, story. And I did, just didn't think I would be the best person to, um, to do that, that it, that it would require some perspective. And then, um, yeah. And then I am, I'm also working on a, a new book, which I, I won't say too much about, but it, just to tie it into this conversation, it, it's also about grief in a little bit. It's about losing friends. And, and that is something to me that's like animals. You know, we have friends for all kinds of reasons. Um, we have very, very best friends who are sometimes closer than family. And we have acquaintances or just people we know very casually or who we might, we might grab a drink or coffee with from time to time. So when you say you lose it, you know, you lost a friend, a pe- people aren't immediately going to be able to put that into context. And then, you know, we were talking a little bit about the natural order of things. You know, at my age, too, I have friends who are easily 20 years older than me. I have friends who are easily 20 years younger than me. This is a sort of great swath. So there's no rhyme or reason about the order of which you could lose a friend and what that relationship might be. So, you know, in some ways, it's not that different than writing about, uh, you know, pet grief because these relationships can mean so much to us and they, they may not immediately be clear to the outside world what these what these losses mean to someone. Absolutely. God, I'm so excited that you're delving into these topics. I can't wait to support your future books and read and watch all your movies and read all <laughs> Well, fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm manifesting it. I'm putting it out there. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Yeah. Where can my wonderful, beautiful listeners who are animal lovers, and if they haven't read Lily and the Octopus and your other work are going to want to, where can they follow you and learn more and support you too? Yay. Uh, I have a website, stephenrowley.com, Stephen with a V. I also, uh, if you want to see photos of Raindrop, you should follow me on uh, Instagram or Twitter. I'm at Mr. MR, Stephen Rowley uh, on both of those. So awesome. look for me there. We we shall. And I'm really happy that you that you came on the show. I want to picture Ophelia and Lily, you know, running away from wheels sleeping uh ophelia would definitely have the blue heating pad that i can't use for myself because it's <laughs> hers uh, yeah. on her back and and getting everything that they've always deserved um in, in some joyous place so yeah i hope, I hope for a, that now it's so great i have a, a tattoo on my arm of lily chasing uh, her red ball forever and it's just like that perpetual motion of her in the in the pounce in the chase for that ball which she loves so much and it's cool. just it's so joyous to me because it's just uh, captured this image that is uh, just in mid-play forever. And I, I love that so much. So not only has she changed my life, she's changed my body too. 
well, I'm going to get a tattoo of Ophelia. It's going to be my first. And now I feel this very full circle like I should. May we all find a red ball to chase, Stephen. Exactly. May we all be mid-pounce. Thank you for taking the time to come talk to us and be with us. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Thanks for tuning in to The Animal That Changed You, a weekly podcast that features extraordinary people talking about the extraordinary animal that changed their life. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at The Animal That Changed You and tell your friends. If you've got a story about an animal that's changed your life, DM me, tell me about it, or or tag us. We would love to hear. We appreciate you, and honestly, we love your animals so much. Thanks for being here. For more great iRaw podcasts, visit iRawPod.com. That's I-R-O-A-R-P-O-D.com.